DJ Leroy. Night Watchman, my man. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. They invited us back for another week. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, mm-hmm. you know what? I guess we're doing okay. You know, uh, as you know, last uh, last week's show, we actually had were the impending, impending Harlem Festival of Culture. Mm-hmm. But it's happened, man. Uh, it was big. It was spectacular. So what do you think, man? I uh, look forward to this being a regular, regular occurrence. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There you go. So, uh, Night Watchman, you know that you are uh, uh, the the head, the, the cannabis <laughs> head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I resemble those remarks. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 being that this is a particular show that you've curated. Uh, uh, tell me, I'll, I'll let you do the intros. How, how about that? And I'll bring them out. All me. right. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's start with our our brother in arms, uh, the chief equity officer of the Office of Cannabis Management, Mr. Damian Fagan. Woo! Hey, yeah. Yeah. Good afternoon, guys. All right. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. So, uh, well, we, we will talk about your wins because I'm really excited about that, and I know you are too. Mm. <laughs> who, who else we got up there, Night Watchman? We have the Queen, Queen oh, Mixie. You can only be talking about that. That's Hi, right. The founder, the founder of the Lalive Foundation. And we'll yeah. talk about that in a little while. Absolutely. And welcome back. Good to see you. Yeah. I'm excited. Thank you guys for having me this evening. I'm excited and, to be back here again. Oh, no, we we love you. Like I said, you're coming always to the barbecue. You know this already, okay? Oh, I got the I got the unlimited barbecue pass. Yes, That's right, ever. right. Can it ever be canceled? I, I just got the as, down as, as long as you don't bring the potato salad with raisins, you're, <laughs> you're okay. Exactly. Okay, I got you. Oh. Who but we know we you wouldn't, so that's not even an issue. So. True, true. So, Night Watchman, who else we got? Last but not least, Dr. Stephen Robinson, head I've of heard the, that. the president of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians and our resident medical cannabis expert. Oh, yes. Yeah, we got a full stack here, buddy. Welcome, so, Dr. Evening. Steve. Greetings, everyone. Good evening. Uh, good evening. Glad so, Night Night Watchman, you want you want to start us off? What what uh, profound question do you have for our guest? Well, I would ask uh, start with Damien and okay. just kind of bring. We haven't done a cannabis show in a while. There's been a lot of work done by the Office of Cannabis Management, and I thought maybe you can just give us a a, a brief update on where things are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you know, we had a board meeting last week. We um, pretty much doubled the number of retail licenses that we've handed out. Mm. Um, and that includes uh, also, you know, uh, getting the rubber stamp and, and, and passing the Cannabis Grower Showcase that allows retailers and farmers to detach, um, you know, their uh, uh, sales opportunities uh, from a brick and mortar location. So they can do events, mm. uh, they can pop ups. Uh, concerts potentially um we're just starting to get applications in now for what these uh programs are going to look like but uh it's also a great opportunity for our farmers and retailers to go out there and find uh their consumers find customers find new york uh customers who have been looking for legal products make it more accessible to them and um, provide another avenue for farmers to sell their product there's a lot of a lot of weed out there um and a lot of customers who like to smoke weed and so we want to connect the two <laughs> and, uh, we, did that. Uh, we, we 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 said that pretty emphatically last week when we when we you know licensed hundreds more retailers uh, and, and passed this program and so uh, we're excited. Nice, nice. And, and Damien, so tell me this: it almost sounds like so. Let's say I have a uh, through the state liquor authority, I have a license uh, which allows me then let's say if they need I'm doing an event and they need alcohol. I can bring the alcohol to said event with my license. Is that similar to what, what you're describing? No. So oh. uh, what I'm describing is when you go to Yankee Stadium and they sell beer. Mm. Uh, <laughs> or they sell, uh, but instead of beer, actually, they sell bottles of alcohol that you can't consume there. You can take home. Um, whoa, whoa. It's different. Okay. <laughs> so it's like, uh, no, but it's like uh, you go to a farmer's market in Union Square. They have people who made honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to walk away and just start eating the honey. Uh, you're going there to buy at your shop. Um, maybe it's a it's a pop it's a temporary thing that's only there on Saturdays. 
so that's when you get your honey. Um, we're creating those outlets uh, for buying product. Uh, ones that are temporary pop up, you know, like, uh, you know, stuff like the night market in, in, in Harlem. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. There might be craft cult, uh, you know, uh, craft products that you don't you don't usually get in like uh, the store. Yeah. Um, but uh, what you're describing, I think, is a really interesting um, next phase of our licensing for on-site consumption. Mm -hmm. I, I do think people, it, it's helpful for people to think anywhere you can do this with liquor and alcohol and mm -hmm. get these temporary permits, um, we will be doing with, with cannabis. Um, so that is, you know, potentially uh, vendors at weddings, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pop-up uh, consumption at concerts. Um movie theaters, yoga studios, like uh, when we come up with on-site consumption, we expect a lot of, a lot more flexibility in, in where these events are and, and how they're uh, consuming cannabis. Beautiful. Wow, that sounds great. Yes, yes, indeed. So, so education, education, education. Queen Mixie, what have you been doing? Tell us. Uh, I have still been on the streets doing education. I was actually in Harlem last week, um, a local community person had invited us to Clinton Day and it was amazing and it's you know it's it's still very jarring of how much people either have still misinformation or not enough education uh, a lot of resources that I had started adding additionally is a lot of business enterprise resources uh, I've been getting a lot of questions of like how do I do this? How do I onboard effectively? And that's actually my daytime background is in finance and compliance in HR. Mm -hmm. So I, I realized through payroll, doing payroll for a lot of big companies, nonprofits, corporations, that people don't even know the basics about payroll. You'll be surprised <laughs> how many people don't know what half the stuff is on their check wow. or um, what a flexible spending account is or all these different type of benefits. So it's another lane that I end up finding and getting a lot of questions for because it's not something that you could just pick up automatically, especially in New York with compliance stuff. Mm -hmm. I've worked and ran a Rite Aid pharmacy. So that is very compliance heavy because wow. I have a pharmacy and I have an actual retail location in the same space. <laughs> so it's a lot of uh, things that you just learn on the fly, you know, working with FDNY, working with NYPD, working with the community. So I've been able to be a resource in that capacity and being able to support some of the people getting into the cannabis industry. But I do tell um, folks still thinking this is uh, the devil's weed, the devil's harvest. I mean, come on. There's a lot more confusion than that. Uh, some people don't know even the basics. A few weeks ago, we I actually did a workshop with ACS and CPS. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really great. Uh, it, I like that they been taking the initiative to do the cannabis poisoning workshop. Wow. And wow. the goal was to actually figure out where is the barriers for parents and educators and CPS and ACS and all these different agencies were allowed to come into it. But then the next part was, what are some solutions we can move forward? And I think that was really um, a great way of seeing the initiatives from like agencies where we know ACS and CPS impacted us in cannabis a lot and actually talking with them and curating them and hearing stories from people who had that experience or still going through that experience with CPS. You know, I've been working with some schools and a lot of, a lot is going on. A lot of schools are taking the route of calling CPS on parents. Um, wow. If kids are getting cannabis in the school and the parents are like, well, they're happening in the school and there's this weird middle space that we are in uh -huh. where no, no one wants to take the blame, but it's it's causing harm in a different ways. So I've just been trying to continue to be proactive in that way and making sure that there's solutions before reactions first. Wow, incredible. I, I, can't, I can't believe that because we certainly do know that that is not happening in legal dispensaries. But, you know, this this is uh, when someone messes up, everyone is blamed. No, well, no, I don't no. want to say it's legal um, dispensaries itself. Mm -hmm. I think it's still a lot of confusions. Like there's still a lot of confusions in the neighborhoods of what legal dispensaries and what illegal dispensaries are. Mm -hmm. And I try to make sure that that distinction is happening in the conversation. And then also 
picking apart like the different conversations, you know, they put vaping, they put K2, they put synthetic Mm. weed all in the same bucket. And I was like, we have to start Mm -hmm. talking Mm -hmm. about it in the boxes that they are in. My data analysis is that most kids are actually starting vaping. And that's Mm. the conversation I have before they even get or have access to cannabis. Mm. So just changing those misconceptions and getting people to understand even the difference between vaping and cannabis or synthetic cannabis and, you know, tested regulated cannabis. It's still a very hard distinction, but I'm excited, especially because I'm going to start partnering with, um, some community NYPD and starting to talk even more in depth about those things because the biggest complaints they're hearing from the schools is around that. And they, they're really frantic right now. And there's an opportunity before the school year of trying to make an action plan and starting to figure out how do we start working towards distinct, you know, giving resources to the students and figuring out, giving resources to the guidance counselors, giving resources to the parents, which has been the biggest issue that all the agencies have been having right now. Mm, Gotcha. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Robinson, welcome back to the uh, right coast, not the left coast. (laughs) (laughs) So what what have you been up to, buddy? Talk to us. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, being part of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, our, our mission always is to try to develop and push out greater cannabis information for uh, physicians and other clinical providers. And mm-hmm. so um, we are about to launch our in-person conference in LA, the beginning of uh, September. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe I can uh, post uh, some links to that. For anyone who wants to be there on site, we also may have some uh, uh, interactive uh, online access to the presenters. Okay. Uh, and and uh, recently there was a uh, um, a conference in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, uh, of the uh, uh, a national organization called the uh, Cannabis Regulators Association, which is a an organization comprised of uh, state regulators who are, are uh, tasked with um, developing, crafting, and, and uh, uh, regulating the cannabis market in their various states. So one of the concerns, of course, is with the uh, opening up of uh, adult use uh, cannabis, uh, the, it seems like in many, many, many jurisdictions, the um, uh, medical market has been uh, uh, kicked to the curb. Uh, mm. and, uh, Patients are, find, are finding uh, higher prices, lower access to the kinds of, of uh, medicinal chemovars that are effective to treat their conditions. Um, wow. Sometimes these are not the kinds of uh, high THC varieties which populate the uh, recreational market. Um, pe- medical patients are not interested in, in getting high. They, they, want, they want relief and that relief doesn't come necessarily from very high uh, uh, concentrations of THC. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other uh, smaller minor cannabinoids that uh, may provide this relief. Uh, and uh, these are being squeezed out of the market. So um, the, the panel that I was on consisted of medical providers who were trying to get the regulators to establish some guardrails to protect the medical market. So um, it- that's what we've been doing. Interesting. And, and, and uh, Night Watchman, answer me this. So certainly we do know about the placement of, let's say, uh, adult use dispensaries in certain neighborhoods. But in terms of medical uh, uh, markets or dispensaries, uh, is, is there a, a list, uh, uh, Damien, is that something that you guys have, let's say, a list of the medical uh, dispensaries uh, in the city? Yeah, there's a there's a website. Um, I mean, there's a lot of medical uh, dispensaries in the city. Uh, we have 11 licensed mm. medical dispensing companies in New York state. Uh, they all are, um, have, I believe up to three dispensing locations. So there's, there's 30 right now out there. Mm. Okay. Uh, in lower Manhattan, uh, one of the Bronx, couple in Queens, uh, the Dr. Stephen Robinson probably knows a little bit better about where they are. I, I haven't been to one recently. And, and, and nothing in Harlem, I take it, uh, Dr. Robinson. Uh, no. Not as of yet. Uh, Harlem, nothing. Nothing in my another, area. There's another uh, medical uh, desert along with other deserts. Uh, gotcha. Uh, what's the queen? 
I was saying um, what Dr. um, Robinson was saying is that I'm a medical patient and the closest one to me is about an hour and 45 minutes from my house because I'm in a transportation desert. So there's no actual, there's Mm. one in Forest Hills, which is the closest one. Mm. And then the next one is all the way into Midtown Manhattan. So it's kind of a medical desert for medical patients. And I hear that a lot as a medical patient, but I know that um, OCM has started taking some initiatives of like putting out surveys. Um, I've been a medical patient for over a year now, but the reason I was a medical patient is because I had cervical cancer when I was about 19. Mm. So I, I'm re- very passionate about mm. the medical mm-hmm. program and understanding also that there's children patients in this space as well, so. Wow, incredible. Uh, now Watchman, you had a question? Uh, no, I mean, we're we're dealing with an issue that's kind of, um, I don't want to use the word legacy, but, you know, obviously the, the program, you know, medical cannabis was first introduced before the adult use, and we know about those registered org- organizations, and um, there's always been an issue that they have not um, opened up uh, sufficiently in, in some of the communities of color that have uh you know always had an issue around cannabis and um but i i guess i would ask damien if there's any any development in terms of a of a, of of expansion of the policy um for medical cannabis in new york or and you know are we are we hearing any kind of discussion about that um <laughs> I listen, there's, there's the philosophical conversation here. There's a practical conversation. Medical industries are not regulated by state governments. They're regulated by the federal government, the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's federally legal, the states are doing it themselves. So everyone's got different medical programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, insurance can't cover patients for their medical products. Mm-hmm. The industry's never going to grow until that can happen. You, there's, not, there's no uh, profitability in selling prescription medicine outside of insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people can you need Medicaid, you need Medicare, you need private insurance, or it doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. And if you go to some of those dispens- those medical dispensaries right now in Queens, in Lower Manhattan, they are empty. There's no one there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so they don't have, uh, they're not making enough money in the medical program. They're not, it's not profitable for them to expand programming. Um, that's just, just a fact. It's a fact in every state. And so mm-hmm. it's not it's not necessarily the state's fault. It's not these operators' fault. The model is is, is incredibly challenging to make work. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the case where uh, one of our registered organizations actually cares about medical cannabis and is committed to the program, it's you know the more money you invest, it's not the more money you make. You're not you're not going to increase your profitability uh, in these markets. And so, you know, we are expanding the program to um, in, in September, we'll be opening up applications for new registered organizations that uh, are culturally competent, uh, represent the diversity of the state and um, are interested in, in doing medical cannabis, not just doing medical cannabis until they can do adult use cannabis. All right. So that's that's a that's new information for us. Yes. Well, no, we announced that at the board meeting. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we don't all watch every board meeting. I, oh, I got, I got kind true. of board meeting now, but that's why we have the, <laughs> why we appreciate you coming on to to share share these stuff because, it, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot for yeah. all of us to keep up with what's going on. But the fact that new entrants can actually come into the market at this point in time and, you um, are they coming in under the same price points that the old guys had to come in or has that changed in terms the price of price points they, what do you mean wasn't there a, like a $100,000 fee that the original ones had $2 million to pay? bond mm-hmm. and, and like 20,000 some it's in the tens of thousands to apply yes okay. in order to in order to operationalize a registered organization license it's going to be minimum $20 million the people mm-hmm. are trying to get the medical cannabis uh or cannabis, I don't suggest the medical side. It is for large operators, medical groups, um, doctors, uh, mm-hmm. and, and cannabis mm-hmm. companies, not necessarily for new entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but I, 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 I am aware of uh, many groups that are interested in applying. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are New Yorkers, uh, you know, some pretty well, well uh, 
capitalized who are interested in cannabis and there are mm -hmm. other companies from other states uh big operators that are also interested in applying we'll mm -hmm. get all sorts of applications mm -hmm. nice nice but yeah. also in your comments it also comes to mind that we're still stuck with the the federal government not descheduling um cannabis even though they talked about it and biden said he was they were going to look into it but they've been looking into it for some for time now. <laughs> yeah i think uh I, you know having worked in the federal government for like three and a half years what people don't get about the federal government in dc generally like washington not dc i'm from dc washington's different uh, <laughs> it but, definitely uh, is you're not, <laughs> you're not allowed to you're not allowed to get these security clearances if you've ever smoked weed Wow. Hmm. So I got a security clearance. It took me a year to get it because uh, I told him I smoked weed. <laughs> and then when you get there, you know, like the, the DOJ, DEA, Senate councils, um, people who work in the House, uh, the Department of Health, all these people, they've never smoked weed. They have no concept of what cannabis is. They have no concept of what it does to your brain. Uh, mm -hmm. what, how my, they don't know what mildly psycho. They don't, mean, they don't know that it is the equivalent to like a tequila shot. They think it's probably <laughs> like uh, you're seeing colors and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> no one knows what it is, and they've never seen it or smelled it because a lot of them are just, you know, they're, they want to keep their clearance and they 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 follow the rules and uh, it's wrong and it's etc. So uh, now we're asking these people to make a decision on regulating it. It's it's a recipe for disaster, uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, they messed up. I mean, the federal federal government messed up the hemp bill, the farmers bill in 2018. Hopefully we can fix that in the next bill. Um, that's why we have all these Delta Eight, Delta Nine products everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. They're 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 trying to regulate and legislate around a plant that they refuse to understand. And so um, I wouldn't be too excited about rescheduling or descheduling this year. Uh, the folks who are like really doing that work, you know, they're not. They've never they've never encountered cannabis really. Mm -hmm. So uh, I. Uh, yeah, Dr. Robinson, because I was about well, to say, with the, the various uh, effects that uh, Damien was describing in terms of the equivalency of, let's say, a tequila shot, uh, uh, tell us in terms of the, the, the effects people don't know, what, what might some of the effects be and some of the treatments might be for the, the plant? Well, you know, the plant makes over 120 cannabinoids that are unique to, the, to cannabis species, mm -hmm. along with about 60 or 70 uh, volatile compounds that give it the unique aroma and smell until uh, skunk from purple, from OG, et cetera, because of the combination of terpenes that are in the plant. Mm. These terpenes are shared with other plants like uh, uh, lemon, mango, pine, uh, all, uh, black pepper, all these other things. Mm. And all of these chemical compounds uh you can sort of like map them out and fingerprint them so people have called them in the past they've called them strains og kush you know granddaddy purple etc these strains actually uh are, are very loose kinds of designations and and a more precise designation would be to call it the chemovar the chemical type of the plant because then you tell What's the ratio of TB, THC to CBD, CBG, THCV, all of these kinds of things, along with, you know, um, beta caryophyllene, lemonine, pinene, um, myrcene, uh, all of these compounds that go into the plant. Mm -hmm. All of these combinations can vary the effect that the plant will have on you. Out of the 120 cannabinoids, uh, maybe only four or five are actually sort of psychoactive the mm -hmm. large being thc so you know if you have a plant that is low in thc and high in cbd um you, you're not necessarily going to be getting high you're not going to get that uh intoxicating effect you're not going to get the time space distortion you're not going to get the you know the the, the psychoactivity the increased uh, mood etc you're not going to get that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. patients you know are seeking other other aspects like pain relief you know um relief of muscle spasms relief of you know hyperactive bowel syndrome they're seeking relief and you can get relief from the medicinal plant without getting high so um 
that's that's what they're they're actually looking for. Gotcha. And you know, to to, to several of Damien's points, um, you know, uh, I I agree that we can't look to the federal government for any leadership on this. I think the leadership does have to come from the states, as it did when back in 1996 when California uh, was the first uh, state to legalize uh, medicinal cannabis. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the shot heard around the world. Uh, uh, everybody then started to really open up and the, and the, and the crack in the monolith began. Uh, <laughs> it was also coincided with scientific advances uh, that actually led to the discovery of, of a unique uh, physiologic system that exists in people uh, as well as primates and, and the animal system all the way back down to uh, uh, invertebrates, mm. the endocannabinoid system. And, wow. and we know that this is a, a, a vast homeostatic system that exists in our body to help try to maintain and restore balance. So um, this is why, for example, in, in what was discovered in, the, in, the, in a quote-unquote strain called Charlotte's Web, which was a variety of cannabis that had a high CBD content, mm-hmm. was so effective in reducing the frequency of, of, of seizures in children who had particular genetic uh, diseases, Dravet syndrome, uh, that, that caused them to have hundreds of seizures a day. And they found out by using this strain, this would absolutely significantly reduce and sometimes eliminate the kinds of seizures that these uh, that these patients were experiencing when nothing else would work. Wow. Wow. And, and now we have a company out in Great Britain, GW Pharma, which has taken the plant, extracted the chemical CBD, repackaged it, put it through FDA trials, and now it's available uh, in, in, uh, as a prescription medication for treating um, uh, a, a seizure disorder, wow. which had been discovered you know, by uh, a couple of people in Colorado, and where, where um, um, a lot of patients had become, quote unquote, medical refugees because they had to leave their prohibition states to go to Colorado to get the medication that worked for their children. Gotcha. And, and you know what? On, on that note, and speaking to you, Queen, uh, as a cancer survivor in terms of treatment, wh- when getting your uh, medicine, what was there this discussion about, let's say, the levels of THC as opposed to CBD? Yeah, I'm not a high THC person. <laughs> I'm like maybe five, just five. I just need. <laughs> um, I do have. I usually do two for one um, CBD to THC uh, gotcha. when I do take my medication. Uh, this is where the education comes because I, when I speak to individuals or parents, I let them know about my experience of like going to a medical facility, meeting with the pharmacy, um, pharmacist, talking about the different levels of my medication, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. So those things are really important, but there's this, I don't know, I don't know what to call it at this point. This is like misillusion that <laughs> everything is just I don't know. It's it's really it's it's still shocking. I'm not sure I mean it is it's still crazy that that's the idea that they only connect it with smoking. They don't connect it to any medical form. They don't connect it to tinctures. They don't connect it to rubs. They don't, a lot of our communities and neighborhoods don't associate it. And I think some of the impact that cannabis had in their neighborhoods or the, even afterwards of like, you know, certain funding not going in their neighborhoods or different stuff is just so deeply rooted that it's just so hard for people to even connect that this can actually do something that's beneficial or help people like me who are medical patients or other medical patients in this space. So for me, it's like, I try to dispel that illusion of what it is (laughs) as much as I can, because sometimes the theories people, and it's funny because like we did like survey about 5,000 
seniors in New York, a lot of them do want to become medical patients, but their doctors are not even willing to have a conversation with them. They don't know where the resources are. Uh, I know people who have expired medical cards and don't even know how to renew their cards anymore, or they're worried or feared at this point. It's just a lot of different things that needs to be debunked still, but I'm, I'm happy and looking forward. I see the initiatives that OCM are taking and even seeing the RFP going out for banking is another thing. And, you know, it's slow progress, but the prohibition of alcohol went through the same thing. And that's what I tell most people. It's, it's going to take time to get it to where it needs to be at. And I'm always about patience and grace in this space. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, and you know what I got to say? So, uh, Queen, that uh, Dr. Robinson knows uh, when uh, Bob and I, we were all hanging out with him. Uh, and I just mentioned that, remember, I had uh, hip surgery. And so uh, no pharmacy in northern Manhattan had Oxycontin available. So instead, I had a uh, edible uh, 5% and uh, I was fine. You know, it was beautiful. Uh, who knew? I, I didn't know that. That was like my first time actually uh, uh, doing that to treat this particular pain that was in my head. But I but I, I definitely see what you uh, say in terms of, let's say, keeping the, the psychotropic part down uh, as opposed to really getting the benefits of the, the pain relief and management. So uh, not only that, it's mm-hmm. there's a shortage of medication, certain medications going on where cannabis can be a solution, but that's not even being a discussion. Like you were saying, you know, when I have friends who have medications for some of their anxiety that have been out of stock for months Mm -hmm. and doctors are not even willing to have a conversation about CBD or anything with them to find an alternate, they rather just figure out different higher doses prescriptions to push to them. Mm -hmm. So that's something I just wanna start seeing um, slowly change in the medical spaces because I speak to a lot of people and they do want to know the options of cannabis on a medical side, but they're not even given they they're not even even entertaining the discussion with a lot of patients. Wow, incredible! So I, I guess one of the things uh, I, I definitely want to also talk about, and Damien, I'm going to pivot to you. Um, initially, when we knew that there was this uh, significant pushback on uh, for the uh, dispensary that was coming to or is coming to 125th Street, right? There was a woman that I was talking to in East Harlem, right, who said, you know what, I have space. I would love to see this particular uh, business come to my uh, my uh, commercial space. So that's when I then got on the call, uh, call and I think I may have called up uh, Ruben McDaniels at the time, but he was still on the board, and understanding that all of the dispensaries in New York State are to be built up by uh, DASNY. Is that correct? All of them? <laughs> uh, 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 or, or, no, or tell me, are there certain prescribed ones that. Yeah, no, the card, the card program is just the first program we're, we're launching. We're going to, we're going to, you know, have a lot more dispensary license outside of that program in October, um, November. Okay. And then we're going to do it again next year. Uh, you know, New York, there's there's 3,000 liquor stores in New York. And uh, so on the adult use side, you know, we'll be seeing, you know, upwards of 2,000, 1,500 uh, adult use dispensaries in the next three years. A, a very small percentage of that, less than 5% will be in the card program, um, maybe 10%. So um, the, 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 the East Harlem 125th Street difference here is that uh, we started with Justice Impacted Entrepreneurs. Uh, that location on 125th street would normally go to a large corporation uh because wow. they're the only ones who could afford uh to, to make the deal with the landlord pay the six six month security deposit when some of these manhattan locations are like thirty thousand dollars a month like wow. it's not viable for someone who's an entrepreneur from harlem who wants to get going who's arrested for, for cannabis and so what dasby and you know cbr did cbre did is they locked up i mean they went after the locations that uh, you know normally go first uh, mm. to companies. Uh, so we will have entrepreneurs, uh, justice impacted, you know, uh, social equity entrepreneurs who would love a location in East Harlem. But we, we we started with the one with all the foot traffic that's across from you know a, a very popular venue, uh, mm-hmm. so that those social equity entrepreneurs can also get that benefit as well. Um, Got yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, and also, Damien, I have, I have to also say this. 
a legal dispensary is very different than an illegal head shop. Is that not correct? Yeah, I mean, they're selling our, ours are selling safe, uh, safe tested product. You can literally track it, your product from where it is now to the lab that tested it, to the grower that grew it, to the genetic they got it from. Uh, you know exactly what they use, the ingredients they use to do to do it, the organic in inputs they use to grow it. Uh, when you are going to uh, another shop, they will 100% tell you exactly what they think it is, uh, but mm -hmm. you have no way of verifying that. If you trust people are selling you things that they, that are accurate, then then go right ahead. Uh, <laughs> but you know, regulation and everyone's like always just like you're overregulating the plant. Regulations like these exist for so many reasons liability like uh public health uh yeah. you want the restaurant you go into to follow certain regulations about where they got the food from right that they're about to feed you yeah. uh but when we talk about this with cannabis there are some people still out there who are just like why are you regulating it it's like so you don't get sick <laughs> <laughs> so like no one gets hurt uh so that so that you can pay with a debit card or a credit card uh, you don't have to get all this cash, which is just, you know, have shops full of cash all over. Manhattan is dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's just like hundreds of reasons. Um, and we were just under prohibition for so long that people are having trouble wrapping their head around it. Um, not understanding that there are, you know, thousands of laws and rules that 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 uh, allow you to drink, uh, go to a Safeway and buy milk and drink milk and not get sick. Like that's there's just so many rules <laughs> along that supply chain that ensure that it's going to be um, it's not going to be dam damaging to your health. And he's uh, so and just to piggyback off of mm -hmm, what he was saying, he's mm -hmm. so right, because when we're when we're having the discussions with the community about these products or these um, illicit shops or bad actors, you know, when I speak to people and I said, you know, it's not only cannabis that they're saying that they're selling illegally you know there's other regulated products that they're selling without licenses and i i i have to agree with you damien there's such a disconnect of like what compliance or regulations that happen with everyday products that mm -hmm. has to happen and i think me working in like a pharmacy and all these different things i originally went to school for pharmaceutical manufacturing and wow. people just really just don't understand like all the things that are put into every product we're using the liability the if someone gets an allergic reaction warnings all these things on everyday products that it's still just mind-boggling that people are just so disconnected to the idea of some type of regulation around the plant Mm, absolutely and, and so queen well wait yes so um just following on this mm. the other issue that um we see is some of the um some of the issues that were brought up against the people who are pushing back against the 125th street di dispensary and and i want to hasten to say that whether we agree or disagree with them they're community members and the concerns they have are concerns that are legitimate concerns that should be answered. Um, but I think what we have seen, um, now that we actually have shops open, we can see that a lot of those concerns have been met by the, the regulations that the OCM have provided. And I would say, um, I, example of this is, um, you know, we, we had Arena from uh, Union Square Travel Agency on the show um earlier in the year and as a result of that i also got a chance to not only see their operation but see the back behind the operation and i was really really impressed by all of the controls that are are are, are regulated through the ocm that prevent things such as no miners are going into a regulated store and buying weed that's that's not going to happen and so one of the first concerns about you know exposures to the children it's not happening in the regulated stores but it is a definitely a, a danger from the unregulated stores so i think i think a lot of the uh, the energy is misplaced on the wrong businesses because the businesses that uh, ocm is 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 regulating you know, it's just not possible for a lot of the things to happen as long as the stores are compliant and everyone so far is coming out and adhering to these these uh, these regulations and being compliant. So I think that's something 
that's part of the discussion we should bring out. We should also make mention that um, Community Board 10 is actually having um, a virtual meeting. I think it is uh, on, hold on, let me see if I can get this date. Uh, Thursday, August the August 3rd, 3rd. Mm -hmm. uh, at 6 p.m. They're having a virtual meeting um, with a dialogue to, to discuss and exchange these thoughts, opinions, and concerns. Um, and they also have a link to a survey um, where people can register what they feel their issues are. So uh, I'm going to uh, put links to that in um, wherever you're watching this, whether it's on um, on um, YouTube or Facebook, there'll be a link below where you can actually um, go and register for that meeting or or, or pre-register your comments. Can I, just say that, can I just say that about that? Like, absolutely. Go ahead, Damien. Uh, 2017, 2018, I was, uh, Curtis, you remember this? I was on a panel um at the harlem business alliance it, has it been that long man yeah it's been five <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> but we had a meeting that night that was like three hours i was on i was on the panel with uh chris chris alexander was on it yeah uh, mary Pryor was on it yeah uh john was wow. on it and, and a representative from medmen i think was on it mm. And right. it was like this really emotional conversation. We didn't know at the time that we were like three years away from legalization. So everyone was like, how do we get ready? What do we do? I was like, grow hemp. Chris was talking to people about <laughs> punching their records. Um, and what, 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 I, what I've been thinking about recently is that at the time, everyone was so emotional in that room about what, it, what was still happening at that time. People were getting arrested in Harlem for weed. Um, they were furious. Um, there was a lot of anger at the state and the city for what had been, what had been happening. Um, there was a there, they wanted legalization, but they were they were more it seemed to me interested at the time in retribution, revenge, restoration, mm. like, because it was, just, it was there's a lot of emotions wrapped up into this. And yes. at the time, I remember thinking like, damn, you know, we're going to be fighting about this forever because it's people are just so emotional. Like we can't come up with solutions. We can't get to a place where like someone from Harlem can actually own a cannabis business in Harlem because we're going to be fighting so much. Here we are. What? Five years later, you know, Chris is in charge of the agency. And we are literally bringing a dispensary to Harlem owned by someone from Harlem, a uh, black and Hispanic group uh, from Harlem with the public school in Harlem, raised their kids in Harlem. And now they're going to open a, They're planning to open a store on 125th Street. Like, I think a lot of people in Harlem don't understand that that between those five years, those people were were working on getting us in place. Yes. Legislators, activists, advocates were working, working on getting us to a place where the first person to open a store in Harlem is from Harlem. And they are a person of color who was arrested for weed. Like, I don't think any, a lot of these opponents against this, they were not in those meetings. They were mm -hmm. not uh, they were not rallying uh, black leadership in Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse to align with that with leadership in the city to go to Albany and push for the MRTA, um, mm -hmm. to push for for justice, for 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 this equity first uh, initiative. Um, but now they're here telling us, you know, that, you know, this is bad for the community, this is bad for the neighborhood. What I get, what I, what makes me go crazy is if you look at the cities where legal cannabis is happening right now, sort of on the East Coast, Midwest, Chicago, Detroit, um, Baltimore, um, you know, places like Jersey City, no black owned dispensaries. Not one. Like, you know, there's, there's none, there's, there's maybe one in, in, in the state of Maryland, uh, wow. they just an adult use out of 95 um, uh, dispensaries. There's none yet in Chicago. Uh, a, a lawsuit held Detroit back for four years. They're just now starting to license uh, dispensaries in Detroit. We might see one there. We're literally coming to New York, having opened ten now in our first, in the first six months that are black owned. Coming to Harlem, opening a Har like a, you know. A, but what what the opponents for in a lot of these cities, what these cities all have in common is that they have black communities that were disproportionately harmed by prohibition, and people exploit that. Uh, mm. So in West Baltimore, when they were negotiating this new uh, cannabis legalization bill that saw all the MSOs go first, um, that, you know, again, Maryland, 98% and 2% of the industry is owned by minorities. Mm. And Maryland is a majority minority state. Mm -hmm. like, wow. Majority minority and 2% mm -hmm. of the industry there is owned mm -hmm. by people of mm -hmm. color. And Incredible. so, and, and you could you can find links to, to West Baltimore politicians saying that, oh yeah, we're doing it this way because you know, anything else is chaos. We don't want chaos. There's fentanyl in cannabis. It's, it's, it's <laughs> wow. the, the, the way black communities were abused by uh, the state government, city government, law enforcement, uh, told to fear this plant, uh, criminalized for this plant, 
um, it reverberates. It, and now people are having trouble um, coming around to the idea that this is actually this is actually fine all, all, all around because they, they were so targeted for, for their involvement with the plant. Um, and there's a lot of companies, a lot of uh, political interests in exploiting that fear so that they can open the stores in black communities. They can open the stores in cities. And that's just not going to happen in New York. Um, we're not scared of cannabis here. Um, <laughs> we are going to take it. We are going to like, you know, in, in incentivize people who are impacted taking advantage of this industry first and foremost. Wow. And so I, at that board meeting, I, I expect a lot of people to come out and support that licensee. Um, and I, I, I look forward to the day they get to open uh, in their home community. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And so, uh, Dr. Yeah. Robinson, reefer madness. That's what I'm hearing. Reefer madness. Yeah, well, Just, you have to understand. I mean, it, it is understandable uh, that communities that wanted to try to protect their kids and their members from the predations of law enforcement that was using weed as a cudgel to disrupt black communities would have, you know, tried to turn people away from use because of the exposure. We are mm. dealing with 60 to 70 years of purposeful disinformation and racist application of, of using this plan uh, as, a, as a divisive political element from stop and frisk to interventions by child uh, uh, protective services, all of that. And it's been used as that. In, a, in the most malicious way. Uh, and, you know, communities are trying to protect themselves. And so, you know, rather than go up and at a time when you could not change the law, you know, you just try to tell people, stay away from that, stay away from that because of the risk. In the meantime, you know, all of the medicinal benefits were recognized over 150 years ago. The plant has a, has a medical legacy going back 5,000 years. There are recent studies in the medical literature which showed that medicinal cannabis, in those states that had medicinal cannabis, there were reductions in Medicare expenditures for five different classes of drugs. So, you know, that puts the pharmaceutical industry on alert. Uh, you, your own experience when you couldn't get the oxy, which was responsible for creating a whole second wave of the opioid epidemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. You went to weed and, and, you know, nobody's ever died from weed. Okay. Uh, and, and you got that relief that you need. And pharmaceutical companies are taking note. They're not publicizing it, but they are taking note. And they realized that this would impact their bottom line if it were federally legalized. Wow. And so, you know, in the meantime, they're working uh, in their own laboratories to, to try to perfect, you know, a, a particular variation of cannabinoids so that they could patent it and market it. And, and just like GW did. Wow. So, um, oh, man. One yeah. thing I want to add to mm -hmm. that is that some of the fears are still actual fears. Um, mm -hmm. Working closely with the community and going to, uh, I recently went to Black Health Connect and speaking to like, you know, CPS and ACS people and parents. The fear of like ACS knocking on your door is still a real thing for a lot of people. That mm -hmm. is currently actually happening to parents, where even if you're just pro cannabis, that there's a chance of someone saying calling and just saying like, oh, you're giving your kids drugs wow. or some type of indication. Uh, I'm in a different predicament because I'm a medical patient, which mm -hmm. if as long as I show my medical card, mm -hmm. but that is a real fear that's still happening and that I know people with active cases right now um, because of their stance on what cannabis is on a medical side that are dealing with those cases. So I understand when we're talking about those fears, but there's still fears for some people that are actively going through right now. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. Mm, thank you. Mm. Uh, Night Watchman, what you got for us? Um, well, I'm, I wanted to ask um, Esther a little bit more about the Lalive Foundation. Uh, go ahead. Esther. Oh, 
Oh, the Lilia Foundation was like three years ago. So it was an initiative that I took. Um, my dad was uh, in the beginning of the COVID pandemic. My dad got really sick um, mm. for like eight days in the hospital. Uh, thank God mm. he was in my sister's hospital. So we had a little more um, support in there. But I have been doing back to school drives and resources since 2021. Mm-hmm. So what we've been doing is that I was thinking about me. I'm a daddy's girl. So I was like, oh, my gosh, what would happen with my dad gone? And then thought about all the other kids in this space that uh, we have a lot of kids that are in very healthy shelters right now, post pandemic. Now we also have asylum children that are in this space that just don't have enough resources. So one of the things that I've been able to do was provide hygiene kits different uh, back to school supplies. And last year we got to partner with Angela Yee and the Barclay Center to do a bigger, more push to give out resources in Brooklyn. And this year I'm going to be doing the same thing with them and then working with City Ose office and hopefully trying to come in Harlem as well. There's, there's a lot of things going on with these kids. And the reason why I'm even taking more of an initiative is because uh, I recently did a New York Times interview on Twitter with teens that actually did an investigation piece around cannabis Mm. and the legal shops. And one of the things that had been profound is like when they interviewed other peers that were taking cannabis, they said, well, I need this to function throughout the day. And the question around why do these kids, instead of the cannabis part that everyone keeps focusing, no one's um, addressing why they feel like they need to do, to take cannabis, whether it's legal or illegal, because mm-hmm. they are medical patients in this space. So I always try to have respect for that. Mm-hmm. But why are they taking it? Where are the resources? We don't have rec centers anymore. We don't have PAL buildings in my neighborhood. Most of the after-school programs are too expensive for more parents. And now even more, I have a teen myself, they go to the mall and they're told that they can't be in the mall past a certain time without a parent. They can't go to any plazas. And then everyone's sitting here, all the kids are in the street, they're consuming this, they're doing that. And I'm all here like, when do they even have an opportunity to even talk to each other? (laughs) You know, the school systems are not even set up for them to be socially interactive because as soon as they get in, it's quiet. You're making too much noise. Sit down, quiet lunch. And then after school, they're like, get out of here, go home. And there's no actual places where I work as my daytime job. Shops have actually removed chairs so that kids, even if they're paying, um, paying, patrons that Mm -hmm. they don't want them in the facility. They want them to take their food and go. So when we're talking in conjunction, I felt like I can start helping with the other part of the resource sides of talking to kids, giving them art therapy, talking, um, giving them resources. Some kids don't have enough hygiene products, Mm -hmm. um, but they're timid in saying that. And I saw that during the pandemic where I saw a lot of parents who didn't want to tell the school that they didn't have a laptop for their kids. So they just let their kids just run without a laptop or share a phone with their siblings because the embarrassment of not having internet or not having a laptop to school was too much. So they rather shelter. So if you just open a family friendly day and offer resources, it makes it a little more easier for people who are in shelters or people who are just coming in and confused in a new place. So I've been doing that work and it's great to be continuing that work as well. Thank you for that, Queen, for sure, for sure. So um, I've got a couple of quick uh, questions for Damien in terms of uh, upcoming things on the the calendar. Um, Consumption lounges. Uh, um, uh, why, why, uh, you, why are you giggling, Curtis? <laughs> Curtis sounds like he's about to be in them. <laughs> wow, Bob, why do you have to bring that one up right away? Okay, hey, Curtis gets excited. So, consumption lounges, um, licenses for edibles and home grow. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, home grows next. Uh, so yeah, let's start with the first one on site consumption. So we have regulations out currently in the adult use regulations for the dispensaries to have on site consumption lounges. Uh, mm-hmm. but there will be a standalone on site consumption license that we plan to open, uh, that will release regulations for you know, we actually just talked to Massachusetts regulators 
uh, because they're about to, you know, open this license up too, and they wanted to know what we're doing. We're trying to coordinate a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. but um, it's going to be a really innovative license. We're going to do it differently than a lot of other states have done on tech consumption. Uh, we want to create an easy registration, like when a restaurant gets a liquor license. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a restaurant can get uh, on site consumption license, do infused services, infusions. Um, you know, some places will be able to get on site consumption. Li- I mean, anyone can get an on site consumption license for just consumption, no sales. So people bring like bringing alcohol to something, uh, bringing cannabis to something, bringing it to a concert, bring it to a movie, uh, consuming it in a safe space. Uh, you know, New Yorkers who are complaining about the smell, we really like the on site consumption license. The reason all the New Yorkers are smoking on the street and in the parks is because they have no consumption lounges. Right. If we had no bars in New York, they would also be drinking on the street and drinking <laughs> in the park. Um, and people are just like, it smells. I'm like, so create places for them to go. Uh, if you don't create places for them to go, they're, they're going to do it outside. Uh, and um, but upcoming, uh, you know, September is going to be probably uh, our biggest board meeting yet. You know, we mm. do plan to, to stamp the regulations as final. Once those are final, uh, we can start issuing licenses and, and do everything else and, and uh, launch this industry uh, for real. Uh, we'll also be releasing the, the community disproportionately impacted map at the September board meeting. So folks will be able to understand how they can qualify as a member of a CDI if they're interested in applying for a license. Mm-hmm. Uh, they read the reinvestment what money. Is going. CDI? Community disproportionately over police neighborhoods. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. People, people who uh, where a specific percentage of their census tract is what we're going off of. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're arrested for cannabis, so gotcha. um, it's going to be the same communities that you know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the first time in the in the in the state's history that you'll see where they happened all over the state, so not just New York City. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to show uh, the same things were happening in Syracuse, uh, Buffalo, Rochester, mm-hmm. um, Albany, yep. Long Island, uh, Nassau and Suffolk County uh, police were, were very much targeting black residents as well. And so uh, wow. you'll be able to see, you know, where those arrests happened, how they how they kind of tracked gentrification in Brooklyn. You can see the arrest moving east as wow. as, as people <laughs> were moving in. Uh, really horrific stuff, and I think I hope it does start a conversation about why we're doing this. Because I think a lot of people forget, because uh, it's been so long since the MRTA was passed, that uh, the CDI, when the CDI back comes out, you know, we released, we've already released all the arrest data in New York State history going back to the 1980s. Barely anyone reported on it. Um, no one's ever seen that data, and no one ever really looked at it. It's in the social equity report. Uh, I think a lot of people are just like, oh, we get it. No, you don't. It's, it's <laughs> five decades of, of, of prohibition, um, you know, generations of families, uh, parents taken away from their kids. Like, we're going to keep doing this work. The CDI map is going to illustrate why we're doing it. And I hope people remember that. Excellent. Well, uh, when when you're ready to release that, you know, let's definitely do a specific show on that. Let's, on that. let's have mm-hmm. all the maps and, and, and graphics and 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 we would be ready to do a deep dive with you guys on that da- data. And, and Night Watchman, remember, it's no, it's not a post-racial society. Remember that you keep saying that after Obama, but no, anyway, I keep okay. saying that. <laughs> I think you better check check the tape, my friend. <laughs> is that is that uh, is that data that you're going to come out with a report? Will that also detail uh, interventions from Child Services Department because of cannabis? And no, it's just arrest. It's arrest data. Just we, arrest. Uh, yeah, we were able to get just arrest data. So. Getting data from state government agencies, from federal government, it's hard. They don't oh, yeah. share data like that. And so even getting this data was incredibly difficult and it sure. took us eight months to clean um, and and straighten up. So, um, yeah. Uh, Night Watchman, you better get us on that lightning round. Go ahead, buddy. Well, yeah, we're, we're coming to the end. So um, let's give everybody a chance to just have some um, closing statements. Uh, let's start with uh, the queen, Esther. Yes. Oh, me first. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, they can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm excited. I'm going to be doing some 
more business assistance with cannabis, especially with like loan packaging and supporting the cannabis industry. Also partnering with ACS and a, a lot of the city agencies to continue education if anybody wants to see. August will be a full day. You'll either see me at Back to School or you'll probably see me at a workshop doing some works around compliance and onboarding, how to fire. Uh, so I'm excited and thank you always for having me, guys. Yay, Queen. <laughs> uh, Dr. Robinson. Well, we will continue our work uh, to trying to increase the uh, availability of uh, solid medical and scientific information, putting it in the hands of uh, clinicians and uh, patients. Um, but we can't forget that this movement, in addition to having some, you know, restoring the, the medical value to cannabis, is also a social justice issue in this country. And, uh, and uh, for 70 years, it's been used uh, to dis disrupt communities that are now, you know, it's getting that attention. And I'm glad that uh, OCM and the Equ Office of uh, uh, Equity is, is looking at that. And I think it should be looked at uh, systematically, not only from arrests, but also every way in which uh, cannabis has been used to disrupt uh, uh, communities of color, including uh, uh, intervention from child services and Got getting it. the record from that as well okay thank you for that uh damien take us home buddy yeah i'll just say uh thanks for having me um great to see everybody again um i'll definitely come back uh to talk everything but uh you know I, what i would say is that uh, especially for the people of harlem um the next six months are going to look a lot crazier in cannabis than they have been just because we're opening up licensing and uh there are a lot of people outside of New York and inside New York who have a vested interest in this not working. And they're mm -hmm. going to try to divide and conquer in a lot of, you know, very uh, unfortunate ways. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to be, they're going to, there's going to be um, carpet bagging. <laughs> there's going <laughs> to be people getting paid to say things that they don't know about. Uh, there's going to be lawsuits. Um, uh, I would just encourage people to understand that like uh, that fight is being had because people, other people don't like what we're doing. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, uh, but they're trying to stop that. Um, we're not picking fights. We're not trying to do anything, um, uh, you know, um, that that ha other states haven't also had the right to try and do in their states. We're just trying to um, open up this regulated market while also cent centering the people that were most harmed. And, uh, you know, that, that doesn't that hasn't happened successfully in Illinois, Jersey, Maryland, California. It hasn't happened anywhere. And so a lot of people don't want it to happen because once it happens, that's an example of how to do it. Uh, and it, can, it can be replicated nationwide and in other countries. Um, you know, I was just recently talking to Australian politicians about this um, and Colombian uh, and German uh, about what's happening in New York. Uh, they come to us to talk directly because they know the media isn't accurately reporting what's happening. They're just getting quotes from lobbyists and PR agencies and, and, and you know, large corporations. So, uh, you know, just uh, pay attention to what the agency, the state, the state agency is saying over the next six months. Mm -hmm. uh, for our, our, our updates, attend our board meetings or at least stream them uh, because there's a lot of stuff that's about to happen. A lot of very good things for the community. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, Night Watchman. And thank you for the work that all of you guys are doing and uh, doing because I think that does that goes unsaid a lot. Like, thank you for the work you're doing because I know it's a hard place being the one being innovative and doing these things. And I know it's tough every single time I see any of you guys. So yeah. I just wanted to take that moment to just throw flowers at you guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I've got some flowers to add on that. I was actually about to say the same thing. You know, we, we've actually been uh, doing coverage of cannab the cannabis legalization process over the last five years, believe yep. it or not. Yep. And yep. Um, there was a spirit that was brought to the legislation that was finally passed. And uh, OCM had the difficult job of actually taking the legislation and creating the implementation. And we're very, very appreciative of the hard work that was done some of the seemingly impossible tasks that that uh, OCM has managed to um, effectively get done and continue to do so. So, you know, kudos from the community. We see you. Um, shout out Chris Alexander. Shout out everybody oh, at OCM. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, well, Night Watchman, you want to take us home? 
Yes, but before I take us home, there's one more thing I want to do. I want oh. to uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> I want to just uh, bring up that information about uh, the um, the meeting. The, yes, the meeting. See if okay. I can um, uh, put that on the screen. And um, here we go. Uh, you, you know you're my technical guru now. What's going on, buddy? Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and shout out to yeah, Community no. Boy 10 while you're yes, doing that. Because yes. um, especially Charles Johnson, because Charles. he definitely mm -hmm. has pushed um, having the conversations. I know he tried at least at least seven months just for me to do a workshop with community mm -hmm. board 10. Uh -huh. And then from there we were doing a lot of educational workshops and I see that continuing going on. So I know there's still a lot of resistance, but it's good to know that there's people taking the initiative to make sure the right education is going out. So even though he's not here, shout out to Charles. <laughs> Charles, That's right. we miss you, buddy. So remember that meeting is Thursday, August uh, 3rd at 6 p.m. Um, look in the comments below for direct links. And other than that, I will remind you that you've been listening to Soul Lounge. Uh-oh. Just lose. <laughs> I, I, hit the, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> You called me a guru, and then everything went, everything and, went to hell. No, yeah, yeah, and you hit it twice, I see. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. No hands. No <laughs> lounge prime time on WHR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Also live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Ask Alexa, ask Siri about the latest Soul Lounge primetime show. And we're always here on Monday evenings, and we hope to see you back again next Monday for another great show. And thank oh. you for our guests for enlightening us. Yes, indeed. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys. Okay. All, right. Thank you. All right. See you later, guys.